app on your phone, just raise your hand and someone who's next to you that's got it can share it with you, but, or you can just type in tithe.ly and uh, church app and under your um, search, and uh, that way you can follow along in the notes. I should have made a few copies for folks that have flip phones or, or just not, not quite there yet, but I, I forgot to do that. But um, go to the next slide. So if you're on this slide, excuse me, Dale, back up a little bit. If you're on this slide, you've got about, you've got, and that's about the church. You have events, blog, giving, and then below that, the slide doesn't show it, is sermons and prayer wall. And uh, there's a lot more on the very bottom. Uh, yeah, the next a couple slides will show you, but the next one, go ahead, Dale. Just on the, the giving part of it, just to let you know, you can give three different ways. You can give through a bank card, you can give directly from a bank account, or you can use Apple Pay. And if you have a Google phone, is it Google Pay? Is that what they use if you buy, if you buy something on a Google phone? Okay, Google Pay. So, and then you have your choices. The first time you do it, you have to put in your bank account information, and then after that, it's always there. And you can just, like, like we're going to talk about later on, if you want to give a gift to benevolence, you just write in the amount and, and click benevolence, and it'll go to the right place. So go to the next slide, please, Dale. Okay, notes. If you have your phone and you have the app up, you can go to the bottom right where it says more, and there's a little stack of three things there. And um, in that list is one called sermon notes and outlines, and there's um, the notes page has got today's message, which is called Cheap Talk or Real Help, then it's got previous week's message. So we're all learning how to do this, so if you're feeling a little bit like, this is too fast, I'm frustrated, just calm down and we will eventually all get on, on top of this at some point. Go ahead and go to the next one, Dale. Okay, this is what the, that more um, on the right, bottom right of your, of your app looks like. It's got all the different things that are on that church app. And the cool part is right in the middle there, it says Bible. So you read your Bible off the church app too. And um, go to the next slide, I'll show you what it looks like. There it is. And today's, we're going to be in James chapter 2. And so it's got James chapter 2, and you can page along and follow us there. So, okay, is there another thing? Dale, is there another picture? Okay, go to the next one. Ah, there it is. I wanted to end with a smile. I want to thank Shelly for this wonderful picture of Adam. Isn't he adorable? He is such a sweetie. Isn't he, aren't grandkids the best? They really are. So anyway, thanks you guys for your patience on that. We're learning to communicate in, the, in a new age, and we're trying to learn things that we can do to get around having to use Facebook and Instagram and some of those things that are very, very connected to uh, data mining, where they are watching you whenever you get on those apps they track you, they track your purchases, they track your location. And we want to eventually get to a point where we have more confidentiality and privacy, and that's what the church app is trying to help us do, as well as it combines all kinds of things into one app, so it makes life a little simpler, and it makes it less expensive, too. All right, we're going to start today, and we're going to start by actually looking at a verse in Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'm going to read from the analog version, the paper Bible. I'm being funny. So 
chapter 4 of Hebrews. I want to read verse 12 and 13. For the Word of God is alive. Can you say that? Alive? The Word of God is alive, okay? It's not just a book. It's not just a message. It's alive. In other words, it has life in it. In fact, Jesus is called the Word, right? In John chapter 1, verse 1. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. It's a very powerful verse. And it really describes what we're looking at in James. The reason that I preach through a book sometimes is because, just like most of us, there are passages of Scripture that I like better than others and that are easier to speak about than others. And there are passages that are difficult and yet they're important for us. And when you read through or teach through a whole book, you've got to hit the good, the bad, and the difficult. And so today is challenging. And that's the title of it is, again, Cheap Talk or Real Action. Is that right? Is that what I said? Real, real help. Cheap Talk or Real Help. And so really what I'm talking about today, we're, again, James is all about fake faith or real faith, okay? It's, it's a book of contrast between what God approves and is really deeply true and spiritual and authentic and really good and then the, the religious super uh, spiritual type thing of where you're acting religious but it's not real. And this time we're talking again about relationships but we're talking about the concept of helping people and showing mercy okay so I'm going to read the passage we're going to read a chunk of uh, verses here James chapter 2 starting at verse 1 and going through verse 17 so it's not on the screen so you got your Bible or you got your phone right okay and I'm going to read from the ESV the ESV is the English standard version a lot of the pardon uh, James 2, 1 through 17. A lot of these newer versions, like the ESV, the NLT, and so on, they are incorporating the Dead Sea Scroll findings of, of the oldest scripture fragments and portions in history that were not found until 1947. Our older versions, the King James, New King James, NASB, and stuff, didn't have the benefit of those manuscripts. And they didn't make a lot of changes, but they made a few uh, significant ones. So I'm reading from a version that I consider to be a pretty good version, okay? So, my brothers, and again, sisters is implied here. That's what that little B or A is on some of your uh, Bibles. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
And we'll come back to what some of these things mean in a minute. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, in other words, sit on the floor. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not murder, but you do, if you do, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One of my favorite verses. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it then? Or what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works or deeds. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That was a big chunk of scripture. Lord, we ask your blessing on your, on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. Any of you already feeling a bit challenged by James? You know, it's weird because he's writing to these Christians that are scattered all over the Roman Empire, but it's like he knows what's going on. And he knows that there's stuff going on. He's, and he, apparently he's just nailing there. He's fingering them about this thing in which they are treating some people with more favor than other people. They're treating some people with more value than they're showing other people. They're treating some people as less because of their economic status, because of the fact that they don't maybe appeal as much. So we're going to look into this. And James starts out by again, and he, and he, he reemphasizes this, 
the importance of not just being a listener, but actually doing the things that Jesus, what God says we need to be doing. And he starts out with this very personal challenge. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? Now what does this mean that you claim to hold the faith or claim to have faith in Jesus? It means that you believe that Jesus is your confidence that you have adopted Jesus' values as your own, that you believe what he says to you is true. How many of us can say, yeah, that's me. I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm receiving his word into me. What he says is true. I believe it. So if that's you, sure, we're struggling, and that's what James is talking to us about. But that should be who his children are. They should be children that their heart is to honor the Father. So he says, James says, to favor some people over others is inconsistent and it disagrees with God's value of people. God values all people way more than any of us realize. you agree with that? If anything, we undervalue people way, way more than God does. And He does not discriminate. He treats all human beings with the same value. And uh, we find that we're kind of a little bit off. God's a little bit, He's over here and we're back here trying to catch up. So how much does God value people? Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 10 a few verses, 10, 29 through 31. But before, before we go there, we live in a world where there are lots of examples of people being devalued and undervalued, right? The Nazis, of course, considered the Jews to be basically animals. They, they, wanted to, they had something called the final solution, which was to get rid of all the Jews in the world. That's what the Holocaust was all about. If you think of it by race or ethnicity, every race has, has been a target of somebody at some point. And uh, there's, a, there's a sense that somehow my group is better and that group is worthless. Isn't it tragic when all of us, we are told, are made in the image of God? Each one of us is an image bearer. We are stamped with the likeness of our Heavenly Father. Isn't that an amazing thing? And in God's eyes, no person should ever be despised or looked at as invaluable, unvaluable, should ever be devalued. So Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? Back in those days, apparently they traded sparrows or ate sparrows. I have no idea. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without my father being aware of it or knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. 
I've laughed about my head about that. I feel devalued. <laughs> I'm kidding. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Can you say to yourself, I am valuable to God? You need to do that once in a while. I am valuable to God. And so is the person sitting across the aisle from me. They are valuable to God. We are all God's children. We're told that we're all from one race, one progenitor, is that the word? One original ancestor. We are all, doesn't matter what color, what size, what language, whatever, we are all family. And in Christ, we are brought together at, in, with unity, diversity held together in unity. We really are. The church is supposed to be a proclamation of, of the fact that God loves diversity and He loves to bring it together in unity. And that's the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actually demonstrate that. They are diversity in unity. So, who are we valuing or devaluing? Valuing, devaluing. In our, according to external measurements in our lives or in our church. Is this a situation where we can say to God, oh, that's not my problem, God. Or do we need to look at our own selves and, and, and look at the way we value or devalue people? Have any of us ever been to the grocery store and thought the person in front of us was being just a, a problem and that they didn't need to have the, the, checker's the teller or the checker's attention because they just didn't have as much value, didn't have, they didn't have as much reason to be there as I did? You know, it's a very subtle thing the way we devalue other people. We have a friend uh, from China named, uh, uh, her nickname is Senny. It's easy to remember. Um, but she said, she would tell us, she said, I would go to the grocery store and I would be in line and it would be like I was invisible. The people would just push, push me aside and go through the line. The, t the checker wouldn't even notice me. I would have to raise my hand and speak up and say, hey, I'm here and I'm in line and I need to have my, my groceries checked out too. And some of us, I don't think, are, are real aware of what some of our brothers and sisters deal with in our own culture. But there are different people weigh and discriminate against one another in many subtle ways. And as the body of Christ, we are called to a different standard. We are called to lift up and to value every single person that we encounter. That everyone is a child or prospective child. They're a creation, but maybe they don't know the Lord yet as his child. We need to remember who we are. 1 Corinthians 26 or 126 Paul talks about who we are to remind us to have humility. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the 
things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. And used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast. I love that. In the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. That's, that's why we have so much value. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, only boast about the Lord. So, when you look around this room, you look around, look at yourself, you look in the mirror, how many were considered wise in this world or powerful or wealthy? Not us. <laughs> and so we have a place of humility, but we also have a place to marvel and celebrate because we read in James... Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So that's the way you should value yourself. I didn't bring much to the table, but God has raised me up and made me his own child. And now I have an inheritance. I'm a co-heir. I share an inheritance with Jesus Christ. Does that blow you away? That blows me away. Wow. All right, let's go back to um, believers as doers here and read a little bit further in verses 18 through 20. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we're guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. So... Lots of us, when we were in grade school, had to do show and tell, right? And, and really, James is telling us, I don't want you just to tell. I want you to show. I want you to show. I want you to do the things that you say are important to God and important to you. And then we hit verse 2 there. So if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, I think this is the NLT I'm reading, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? He's kind of rehashing this thing here. So the question we have is, do we give special perks for special people? Or do we really care about all people? So, let me read another couple of verses, and I'm going to ask a hard question. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? In verse 6, that you have dishonored the poor person. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And so forth. So God says don't show partiality or favor some people above others. But isn't God showing preference to the poor? 
In other words, is God operating on a double standard? You ever thought about that? God says, I don't want you to prefer one person above the other. Everybody's equal in value. And then he says, but, but I want you to help show mercy to the poor person. You guys are awfully quiet. Saying, Pastor, tell me, what do you think? So is God showing preference to the poor? I agree with Bianca. He's not showing preference, but he is showing mercy to people who are in a tough situation. And you know the cool thing about that is it doesn't have anything to do with your wealth, your social standing, your economic standing, your education, your ethnicity, your whatever. God shows mercy to every one of us when we need it, when we're in a tough situation. There's a difference between not having the same value and showing mercy. God calls us, make sure you value every person, every human being the same, but I want you to show mercy to those that are in a tough time of tough situation in their lives. Okay? Let me just share a few verses in the Old Testament that will help make this even more clear. Leviticus 19, we read when Moses writes this, When you harvest the crops of your land, farmers, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. A little further in Leviticus 25. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Whoa! Invasion of privacy, God! That's what he said, though. He's talking to the children of Israel, but I think it applies to us. If someone comes into our life, or is in our church family in particular, and they come across really hard circumstances, and they need a place to stay, are we open? First of all, we have to have room. I understand that. But if we have a place, we have a bedroom or something, are we open? <laughs> That's pretty tough there. Allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Wow. Well, first of all, do we even let relatives live with us? No. <laughs> uh, maybe. So. Let's look at Deuteronomy 15. If there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord's giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That's why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and other Israelites in need. Don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, but generous. 
Psalm 82, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. And I like this, Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Do you know that? And he will repay you. And I'm sure the interest is really good when you lend to the Lord. In Proverbs 21, 13, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Did you hear that? If you shut your ears to the cries of the poor, God's going to go like this when you have a need. Wow. And last of all, Luke, Luke 14, Jesus says, when you put on a lunch or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, family, and rich neighbors for they will invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Wow. So, that's a big dose. And, and is this saying that we let people take advantage of us? No. It's not saying that. And very clearly, the Scripture says, if people refuse to work, then they're not going to eat. It's not talking about that. It's talking about when we see people who are genuinely in need, particularly in our own church or our own community, we need to be generous. And that God, that's called loaning or, or a borrowing, or excuse me, lending to the Lord, and that God will repay us, which is a wonderful thing. All right. Let's continue on in James, verses 8 through 11. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, that's the, remember the two great commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the royal law because it came from the king. If you're doing that, you're doing well or you're doing the right thing. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as a transgressor. And he goes on to talk about that to people that want to make, get defensive about that, that, hey, you know what? It's not, an, it's not about obeying the law and being perfect. It's about having a heart like God's that shows mercy. If God shows mercy to you when you sin, then don't you need to show mercy to those around you when they fall down? They, they slip, they fall off their wagon, whatever it is. So in summary, and James says in verses 12 and 13, so speak and act as those who are going to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what is he talking about? Were we going to be judged by the law of liberty? What he's saying here is that we're going to be judged by a principle that says when we are merciful to others, God will be merciful to us. He's going to free us when we, free, or when we are free and generous and merciful to those around us. He says, though, that the other half of that is he said, if you don't show any mercy, God's not going to show you any mercy. Right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 7? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How many of us go, I'm a candidate for mercy. I need mercy, God. So God's saying, show yourself merciful, and you will 
you'll receive mercy. All right. I'm going to move uh, on a little further. Something I saw in James that I... No, I'm going to save this nugget for later. It's just, it's not the... Not in, in the it's not, it doesn't fit with where we're going right now. James closes this section by challenging us to be very practical, okay? He's given us all this instruction. Now he says, now he gets down to the hard part. He says, what good is it, my brothers, in verse 14, if someone says they have faith but does not have deeds, or in other words, they're not, they're not acting in accordance with what they say they believe. Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and that's just an example of a need, right? There could be other needs. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things their body needs, what good, or in other words, what profit does that have? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. In other words, you don't really have faith. You just talk. That's all you're doing. Words without actions backing them up. So he's talking here to brothers and sisters, okay? He says, what is good is it my brothers and sisters if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, okay? So it's not talking about unbelievers outside of our church family. He's zeroing in on our church family, okay? So he's saying, this is the people that you come to church with. Are there any of them that are, have a, a need, a serious need, and you become aware of it? Do you really have faith if you say, may the Lord meet your need, and then you walk out the door? James says, nah, your faith is dead. It's dead. It stinketh. It's no good. It's not real. It's fake. The second thing here to note is that it's, it's a real need. It's not like I'm out of cigarettes or I'm, I need to buy some... I need to get a, a widescreen TV. Or I need to get an upgrade in my cell phone. It's not talking about accessories and luxuries. It's talking about real needs. What are some real needs? Food. Clothing. Shelter. Health issues. Yeah, health. Very big one. Any others? starts to get a little edgy when you get to transportation, right? But no, I, I think it's pretty much a real need. When you got a job 10 miles away, you got to get there. Can't walk there every day. Okay. And then he says, in this situation, he uses this phrase, things needed for the body. If you got to stay warm, you got to have heat and have a house, right? You got to have to have clothes. If you want to stay warm, you have to have food because that's fuel that you burn. So he's talking about the things that a body needs besides milk. So, 
here's a situation. We actually have a need in our family. We have a situation where someone, their roof was severely damaged by the July 9th hailstorm. And they, um, their insurance had lapsed because they were in between jobs at the time and they hadn't got it renewed and they're stuck. Their roof is to the point where it's probably going to start leaking this fall, this winter, when it starts raining hard. And um, we have, fortunately, um, someone that's willing to put the roof on at cost. But we need help to cover that. There's two options that are available for this person. I'm not going to say their name. Okay? They can do the side of their house that's really bad and really the vulnerable part because the backside was sheltered and it didn't get the brunt of the storm. That much materials and labor is about $3,000. They have been promised some help by family. They have also um, have applied for some other help. But there's a shortfall, and we need to get a roof done. And the roofer said he can get that roof on in the next month, month and a half, if, if we can come up with some help for this family in our church. Okay? If, if we raised enough, we could do the whole roof, but that, it's a big roof. It would be $10,000 to do the whole roof. And we're not a rich congregation in general. So I'm just giving you an example today. I want to say that I'm hoping some of us that are able, maybe we're only able to do $10. Maybe we can do $100. Maybe we can do more. Maybe we can just do a dollar. I don't care. Whatever you do is going to be an offering to God that says my faith is real. An offering to God that says everyone in this house has value. An offering to God that says, God, I want to make sure that my family is not going to be suffering because of water damage to their house and, and not being able to have a secure home. So what I've done today is, there's, besides the envelopes that are underneath some of the chairs in front of you, on the, on the giving box over there is a pile of envelopes. I want to encourage you. We're going to do this privately, but I want to pray and I want to ask that God would speak to your heart that you would take the Lord up on a challenge to help meet this need. Okay? So as I close, I want to share three things in summary, and then we're going to pray. First of all, real faith values everyone. But it shows mercy to those that are in tough straits. You catch that? Real faith values everyone equally, but it particularly helps those that have a genuine need at the time. Secondly, real faith is merciful because we realize we need mercy and that we have received and benefited from God's mercy and the mercy of other people. And then finally, real faith backs up our words with our actions. Now, did I tell you James was not going not to pull any punches today? He didn't, did he? James is pretty straightforward. I mean, it's like, oh, gosh. So I want to close in prayer and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I just thank you for this house. 
I am in no way indicating that this house is not generous. This house has been a generous church. We have helped a number of people throughout this year and every year that we've been here. And I just thank you for the hearts of this people. I thank you that you have blessed and prospered us as a congregation in many ways. And Lord, we thank you that when church, there were churches closing their doors over COVID, Lord, that you sustained us. I thank you, Lord, for those faithful and those who really are seeking to glorify you with their finances. And I pray you continue to give them wisdom and understanding. And those of us that are learning how to do that, God, that you would just help us to take steps to continue to increasingly trust you with what you've given us. Lord, I ask that you would meet the need of this family in our church. Lord, my, my, my prayer is not just for the $3,000 partial roof, but it would actually be enough to put the whole roof on their house. So we just ask that you would meet that need. You'd move on the hearts of people. And Lord, I just thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this congregation. Help us, Lord, to not just be talkers, but to be doers, to act our faith, to show our faith by our actions. And we just thank you for this day and for your word and the impact of it. And we ask your blessing, Lord, as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.